0: So, thank you all for having me. Um, again, I'm Brandon. Um, I am pretty much an Army guy turned data guy. Um, did a lot of stuff in the Army and now I'm um, enjoying life as a civilian, sort of, uh, and, and it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and as I made my transition, I tried to figure out like what the similarities were between one world to another one. And as I looked at... Um, what, one of the main things that popped out was just kind of like leading people and leading technical teams. And, and I thought that like there was a huge difference between leading different types of teams, but it turned out not really. Um, and so one of the, the central questions I had to ask from the outset was like, what is the role of a manager on a technical team? And, and from a tactical standpoint, uh, the team manager basically clears roadblocks that either she or the the team identifies uh, or they get budget and people resources and and are really in a position to be able to articulate the needs higher so that somebody can give you what it is that you need in order to do a better job. But really I found out the major role uh, of a manager is to manage the environment. And I found two effective ways to kind of uh, manage my team environment and I'll like share those with you in this time that I have remaining. Uh, the number one rule that I've, I've tried to live by in managing teams is remove ambiguity. Uh, ambiguity on the team is a real killer. Um, clearing, like clearly identifying what we're providing, like in our service model, uh, is it, also critical because I think a lot of times you get assumptions that are big things to what we do on uh, tactical teams, analytic teams. And what you'll find is that people believe that you're doing one thing and you're, you're there to provide one service and they're expecting something totally different. Anytime you have a conflict, i found mm-hmm. that there's a difference between the expectation that people, people have and then what people f- receive. And so if you can mitigate that from the outset with the team and with whoever your stakeholder is, you're in a much better position to be successful. Secondly, clearly define the problems that your team is addressing. That's been one of the largest challenges I've had over the course of my career, in that in, in the data space, is that like oftentimes the leaders that either assign you projects or the stakeholders that you're working with don't really know the the challenge that they're trying to address. i told somebody recently, I think I feel like I'm a data therapist. I think that's what I am, really, because I have to come to acceptance of the problem that I have, and I have to help other people come along and say, "Yes, this is the thing that I'm trying to solve," and that's that's an art. You have to learn how to work with people, and and sometimes technical folks get the get the the bad rap of being permits or people who don't um, work well with others. We're we're all just in there are keyboards and this sort of thing, and, that, and that's true. That's not true for everybody. But one thing I would say is that you as a leader, if you have those sorts of people on your team, or even if you're that person on, on the team, there's this need to, to find out how to be more relatable to folks that aren't in your technical space. It's something that I have to do currently still, um, and, and it changes as your environment changes. So your ability to figure out what other people need it, is critical to your success. Um, the, the next thing i like to talk about is uh, the, the effect of, have an ambiguous environment. And as a leader, as a team leader, a, a manager, on a technical team, there's some stuff that can really kill your team dynamic, namely uh, the, the job dissatisfaction that comes from working in an ambiguous environment. People may love the job initially and come in, but when they, when they come in, but as you work in an environment where you don't know what right looks like, you start to be less satisfied with what you have because, there's just so much that you don't feel fulfilled in. You start to get unfulfilled in your work task, the, your supervision, uh, ratings will go down. And if you think people aren't going home and talking to their spouses or significant others or friends about you, you are dead wrong as a manager. Um, and even as a coworker, it, it, like I know that uh, <laughs> people just, they just talk and you have to be aware of that. And it's not that that should be your primary concern but that's an indicator for the, the health of your team. Um, going back to this, this idea of being dissatisfied with, with, your, with your, your work task, I knew somebody that decided that they were gonna stuff envelopes just to feel like they had accomplished something every day. You know, they, they took a part-time job to like just doing this mundane task simply because they, their regular task, their regular work, uh, work day didn't provide for them what they wanted. And all, of, and, and all of this may seem like something that's difficult to measure, but I can assure you that you'll be, uh, there's significant business impact when your team doesn't feel like they, they're in a position to do their best work. And as a team leader, that's your job to provide an environment. Secondly, uh, dealing with ambiguity requires that you have some sort of skill on, on fixing it. So here's some quick tips. leaders create structure, they initiate structure, and they create structure. They clearly communicate the expectations for what you are doing and what you are, are not doing. Tell your teams what the rules are, uh, show them how to be successful, show them how to fail, show them how to fail and recover from, from failures, even provide your own experiences. People, can, people learn a lot from you when they see that you have, like you made some mistakes, but you're still where you are as a manager, as a leader, and they say, well, wow, if you can make that mistake, I can do that too. How did you come through that? And if you've already paid for a mistake, there's no reason your team should be paying for it too. If they, if they, if you've gone through it, that's enough. Uh, clearly define the work problems. Talked about that. There's some critical questions that would come in with this. Like, why are we solving this? What is the business need? What is the best? Is this the best way to solve the problem, or should we even be solving this problem now? That's critical. Uh, Lastly, I would say that building a team community is the other way to make sure that your team is successful in overcoming ambiguity. Anytime you have a community, it means that you you have at least three key ingredients. Um, One is called, the first one is consciousness of kind, They may refer to it as, but all it means is everybody on, on your team has a sense of a distinct meaning for that team, their membership, and that they're different than maybe other teams that may be exactly the same as them. But they're they're on this team. We're a part of this. You have to figure out a way to create that on your team. Some of that could be by the second, the second thing that you have when you have a community, which is a ritual. Like we ha- we all have data rituals. Hey, I'm gonna come in, we get my coffee, I'm gonna fire my machine, I'm gonna do do some set of things. Every workplace has that, but you have rituals when you have a community. And then lastly, you have traditions. So one of the things that I found was really helpful is like, hey, we have a f- really serious work week or a difficult work week. Traditionally, we'll just get together and say, hey, all right, let's go to the nearest watering hole, bar, hotel, whatever, someplace uh, nearby the job, and we just hang out and talk, and t- probably talk about something other than work. But it's a chance for your team to go off steam. I know people do happy hours all the time, but you have to be intentional about this if you're running a team. I would say that uh, one of the things that managers have difficulty with that I've seen is encouraging people to ask questions and difficult questions. I I really like that some of my uh, co-presenters had uh, this this element of truth about it. And I feel like a lot of that's lost, but when people ask questions on on a team from a technical standpoint, they're they're trying to get to the truth. That's why we all do this. Um, And I would encourage you to ask people to ask difficult difficult questions because if you, if you discourage that, one, you may come off as arrogant and insecure, but two, you don't get the best out of people. People challenge you because they're smart and they think deeply. They're not always challenging you because they want to take a job or make you look bad. That may be the case sometimes, but lean toward people being at their best and uh, trying to pull the best out of you as well. Lastly, I would learn. I would say to learn uh, how to best represent your team's capabilities, figure out ways to show them off, find venues for them to uh, express uh, the things that they've learned, and then um, a last point would be learn from your team. And if you haven't learned something from your team, you may not be paying attention to them as well as you should. So with that, I'll conclude.
1: Awesome, Brandon. Thank you so much for that amazing presentation. You've got. So many questions and comments that are just flying in. I, I want to start with, um, there are several several thank comments thanking you for your service. Uh, Christian, David, Joseph, Satlana, and, and many, many others. So thank you so much for thank your you. service. I appreciate your presentation. I want to I start with, you mentioned that team leaders need to show their team that it's okay to fail.
0: Yeah. And
1: show them how to recover from failures. Do you have an example from your prior experience that you can share where you've either seen the leader or have been the leader that has shown your team how to fail?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so what I'll do, I'll keep it simple because I've had a, a bunch of failures and I don't want to tell the long stories. So what I will say is most jobs have a um, an evaluation process that happens at the end of the year. I'll show my team what was said about me as a critique. And I'll say, listen, they said, you know, maybe you need to be better. pick some up. Uh, you need to be better at talking to people who work in a particular department. Okay, I tell my team that because there may be a skill set on my team that would be able to help me with that. Somebody may have more experience and say, well, you know what? I've been working with so and so in that department for years. Let me show you how to get through there them. And so, me sharing my the critiques that I've received have actually helped me. And I think that. Uh, that might've been an armyism like, that like, hey, whatever my boss was was tasked to do, I then was tasked to do some subset of it. And I had to show my people like what was expected of me and therefore it was expected of all of us. But in my failures from those or in the things that I didn't do quite as well, you know, uh, it's, it's good for them to know so that they don't have to make that mistake.
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. We've got uh, a question here from Danny. He's asking, what are the most common roadblocks, right, to building these teams?
0: Oh, uh, clearly defining what the team is set up to do, what the team's not going to do, the time constraints, uh, how you're going to, in, like an intake process. Set. When I said, you know, managers are to set up like some, some sort of structure, one of the things I found is that a lot of places don't have intake processes for how they're gonna receive analytic requests. So, and that may not be the case everywhere, but you may have like some of my friends working in analytics like me, and, and they may have requests coming in from one department or another department or, you know, through a system, a system or, a, or two systems, it, that's hard to manage. So just being able to corral all of the work that comes in is, is key to making sure that you can get everything done and don't miss anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a comment here from Natasha saying that she loves how the speakers are wearing their dedicated gear. So thanks. That's right. <laughs> she loves the synergy. And I know you mentioned um, reducing or removing ambiguity. So I think this this question from Bradley is a good fit. How do you address ambiguity if what is correct doesn't exist yet? Ooh. Building something from scratch.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been in that position quite a few times. I think. You determine what that is. You, you you decide what you're going to do, Bradley. like i I would say that like, hey, look, I don't know what the world outside of me is doing, but this is what I'm doing because I'm trying to meet this particular need. Now don't get me wrong, that does come with 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 uh, a downside in that like somebody may come along and say, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. But then i I found it that when I've been in that position, I say, look, if there if there's no speed limits, there are no speeders. You know, <laughs> you, you you can't tell me something's wrong if you haven't posted a, a sign.
1: Yeah. It's
0: saying that hey, this is this is where it's supposed to be going. So it, it just helps you to define what you're gonna do. It doesn't necessarily make it right, but it's right for you in that moment until better guidance comes along.
1: That makes sense. Thank you for that. Um Thanks for Alberto says that your talk is really inspiring about management, we're all human and we all made mistakes. And that was addressed actually on the panel um, earlier today as well, when we spoke about what mistakes people make and everyone makes mistakes.
0: Yeah, thank you, Alberto, yeah, that's... I made a lot of them, you know, I learned from them too, so...
1: Yes, as long as we learn from them, I think it's okay to make them.
0: Yeah, learn and don't Don't
1: make, make the mistake once so you can actually learn. Um, question from Elise, how do you advise to challenge a team for different skill levels without appearing biased?
0: Hmm. I think that one of the things that i found is that a lot of people don't train their folks. Um, and so if you institute some sort of uh, level of training, like consistent training, like right now, well, probably not right now, but like before things got all crazy, uh, I had it where we would just take a day and just train. Maybe not the whole day, maybe two hours, three hours, four hours. We were just trained. That time was stupid, right? And I think that um, in doing that, you kind of avoid uh, this this apprehension of engaging people who may be, um, may be at different skill levels and you don't want to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to challenging those teams, you may set up different challenges within that based on the skill level that you've currently assessed. Um, previously, in the training that you provided for them. It's kind of a long answer, but like there's some there's some prerequisites you got to have first in order to start challenging people adequately because what you don't want to do is offer a challenge and then you have some people who can't participate because they're not at the skill level.
1: Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And we'll take one last question from the audience. This one's from YouTube. Uh, when creating team culture or events like you mentioned, how do we ensure inclusiveness? For example, a team trip to a bar may not be for yeah. everyone.
0: That's, that's, that's a very good question. And mm-hmm. the thing is, I don't really drink. I just have my, I go out there with my people um, because I know they do. Mm-hmm. I think you find you find venues and you find things that uh, are of interest to everyone. You just may even say, hey, look, we're going to go hang out at a bowling alley. And you may have people that don't bowl. You may have people who are wheelchair bound that, that can't. You may have all kinds of circumstances. Um, But you find something, you just have to be thoughtful about what people express from the team. And I think the way to do that is to spend time with people as people, right? Like maybe, maybe you have a set of meetings, you have a working session where you all just kind of get to know each other. It's kind of a little bit laid back and you can find out then what's important to folks and and figure out a way to hang out with them and to just blow off steam together. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I guess once you know your people, then you'll know. How to, how to engage with them and how to build that culture.
0: Exactly, it's a lot easier.
1: All right, uh, Brandon, well, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know this probably flew by, it flew by for me because we still thank have so many fast. questions <laughs> and comments coming in, but this is rapid fire and I want to make sure we leave time for our next speaker. So I really want to thank you so much for for making time for the DataK conference.
0: Thank you for having me, appreciate you awesome.